Welcome to the Point of Convergence podcast. I am your host, Grant Lira. Get ready to sit down, tune in, and implement. Remember, the knowledge you learn here and anywhere else in your life is only worth something to you if you use it. So get implementing after this episode and enjoy. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Remodeling Millionaires. Today, once again, we are joined by Jonah Cantor of Cantor Construction. What's going on today, Jonah? What's up, brother? I appreciate it. Uh, I got back, uh, got invited back for a second time, so uh, must be doing something right, I hope. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And before we jump into everything here, quick side note and surprise. I don't know if you guys can tell if you're watching this uh, on YouTube, you can already tell if you're listening, you don't know this, but I'm not having a great hair day today. So I gotta throw on, gotta throw on something for it. I love it. I love it. You did finally get it in the mail, man. It looks good on you, man. It looks Thank really you, good. Thank you. For those of you listening in, Jonah, uh, he gave me a uh, really nice Cantor construction hat here. And you know, I've said this from the beginning: the the logo and the branding I really like of his company. So this is something that you know it just so happened to show up today. The hair was not cooperating today, but we got a fix for it now. So we're we're rolling. We're rolling. That's such subtle marketing in, in effect. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Not it fact, but I, I already have it on my shirt and in the background. I love it. Exactly, <laughs> glad you got it, buddy. Exactly. So, Jonas, spin us up, man. What's been going on since we last chatted? Because I think that was about three weeks or so ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, much of the same. I mean, in our industry, it gets to be uh, a lot of rinse, wash, repeat. But, uh, you know, one of the big things that I've personally been kind of like fine tuning into um, since the last time that we talked and, you know, it brings up like, you know, different thoughts and emotions and things to, to, to discuss with people. But I think one of the big ones that like I've had to really drill down into is um, the issue that we see going on with material pricing. It is absolutely insane. And it's gotten to the point where it's starting to um, really affect, I think, the construction industry. Um for those who are in the in industry and, and are pricing stuff, this is like something you've you've been seeing for months now. Um, it used to be that we would, you know, quarterly look at lumber prices, and that's now got gone down to monthly. Um, a great example of this is that uh, you know a, a sheet of OSB used to be around thirteen or fourteen dollars. I think it's like thirty eight dollars. That's how much of a jump some of these material types, at least in my area, um, have gone up. And you know, the big problem with this is essentially, if you're building like a screen porch or addition or some kind of large project or a home for that matter, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff in advance. You're bidding out the cost in advance. Um, and then it takes time to get structural engineered drawings through the permitting process, all of that. So from the time of the inception of the, of the project uh, and the contract to when you get all of that and you're ready to build could be upwards of three months or more. Well, if prices are adjusting once a month and it's not just adjusting by two or 3%, it's adjusting by 10 or 15%, um, that can really scuttle a project before you even get started. So it's something in my own company, we've had to really take a long, hard look. And we've actually, from a contractual standpoint, we've had to put information in there to combat that there's an increase. And for my clients, you know, we're not going to essentially um, do a markup on top of that increase, but we've got to increase the cost of it. So it's, it's kind of gotten scary, to be honest with you. Um, where does it end, you know? And you're, you're seeing that now across the board for the industry. And I know like a lot of that stuff, you guys are putting it in the contract, which is good. But I mean, how are you prefacing that to somebody who, you know, isn't in the industry, they don't know when they get a quote and they're like, oh, wow, that's a little bit more than I thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, it's such a hard thing to explain to them because, you know, our industry is 
filled with guys that will take advantage of that, right? You know, they'll just say it and it may not be true and then they'll take advantage of it. But in this case, um, uh, you know, like we talked about in the last podcast with each other, you know, you're setting the expectations early on. And so a little bit of the dialogue I have in part of setting that expectation is to explain that to them and say, hey, guys, this isn't me trying to take advantage, but I want your eyes wide open when we go into this. And, and in, in a nice way, it can kind of pressure people to make a decision quick. Like, I don't, I don't use that as the tactic, but when you tell people, hey, you know, you want to lock in, um, we're busy and prices are going up, you know, you have a captive audience and, and you can get it done. But, you know, the real reason behind all of this happening is, is, is I think one of the most interesting parts of it. What, what led us to this point where the prices um, are, are essentially wackadoodle, you know? And you got to look back to obviously with COVID, um, usually the building and, and the, the sawmills and the industry, they do projections, you know, a year in advance, six months in advance as to what the next year is going to be. They're looking at interest rates and what's going on in the markets. And they say, okay, we're going to produce X amount of materials. And I am greatly simplifying this. Well, nobody saw COVID as being a year where they would need, you know, they thought, oh, people are at home, building's going to be flat. And it did the direct opposite of that, right? So yeah. all of a sudden you have um, these homeowners that are not going, they're staying in, they're quarantined or whatnot. Um, there's more disposable income because they're not going on vacations. They are not um, going out to eat. I mean, they're just inside their home. Yeah. And they're looking at this bathroom. They're looking at this deck and they're, it's just blowing their mind. Like I've got to get this done. Well, now, you know, we have 10 million contractors out there. Well, now we, with everybody at home, we have 35 million contractors because all of these do it yourselfers decide, Hey, I'm going to go to Lowe's. Right. And so Lowe's or any kind of the building supply company. So we already had like a low supply of the products. Um, you have all of a sudden a greater army of people, a higher demand for the products. And then you put that in tandem with COVID shutting down some of the sawmills and factories. So they're at limited capacity or no capacity. It was like the perfect storm that all of these little ambient data points came together and caused this huge supply and demand. And I'm, there's, there's, I think it said that uh, raw, like Southern Pine Lumber had gone up 110% year over year, something insane. Um, and these were all the factors that led to it. So uh, I try not to be long-winded and tell my clients the, you know, the exact details of it, but you do have to preface the conversations uh, from the contract standpoint and, and the expectation of what might be happening two, three months uh, from the time that you sign a contract. So, yeah. And I think that's important too. And just circling back to what you said earlier, you know, not that you're using it as a urgency tactic, but that does definitely create a little bit of urgency for sure, right? If the prices are going up and we don't really know, uh, you know, especially with COVID, like we don't, we don't yeah. know when this stuff's going to be over. That makes a ton of sense. Now, with you being a little bit closer tied into, you know, that side of the industry than myself, obviously, uh, I guess my question is, and you might not have a great answer for this because I know a lot of people don't, uh, when do you think it's going to, you know, come start coming back to normal? When do you see that happening? Do you see any movement? Do you see it getting better? Or is it just kind of like, you know, flatlined right now? Well, I mean, I think anything uh, of this uh, size is going to, it's like a, you know, a big ship versus a steamboat. It's just going to take a while to turn mm -hmm. where steamboat, uh, where a small ship, excuse me, can go, you know, in and out. There's there's been talks about facilities in other countries opening up um, some you know sawmills to basically influx the United States with more lumber. They see an advantage to that uh, politically. You know Biden can choose to you know reduce tariffs or whatnot to 
to help ease that. But whatever happens, it's, you know, nine, 10 months away, in my opinion. So um, it's one of those things where it depends on the type of project you're doing. Anything that's stick built um, is going to be really expensive at this point. Um, it even goes further down into products like uh, appliances. Uh, you ask anybody that tried to get a refrigerator or a dishwasher right now, it's like 12 weeks out. Windows, doors, 12 weeks out. Well, people forget a lot of those items are packaged with pallets or packaged in wood materials. Mm -hmm. So even something as small as that, you know, that those things are affected, how they get that, those products to you. Now, appliances are not affected because the wood is not changing the time on those. It's the, the facilities being down, but every little thing touches, uh, uh, you know, each other uh, in the supply chain um, strategy. And, and, and that's what you see when all of a sudden it just goes out far and farther and farther out as far as the uh, timelines go and, and the availability and the supply. So, yeah. And then in addition to that, we've talked a little bit about like the end clients standpoint on this. Now your standpoint on this, since this has been happening, you know, have you realized that there's been a drop in business and not just from COVID, but more because of the material costs are going up and how have you been kind of tackling that and dealing with that? Um, surprisingly, no. I mean, this week we signed like six contracts, uh, various sizes from decks to, I think one was an addition, but I do see a little bit of a sea change in that we're getting more heavy into the kitchens and bathrooms. And a little bit of that has to do with the time of year for us down here, you know, springtime, leading into springtime, people are thinking about the outdoor spaces. Once the weather warms up here, everybody thinks about getting back inside and doing their kitchens and baths. So a little bit of that is cyclical, but um, I, you know, in a conversation that I have with people, you know, bathrooms are not going up in price as much with tile and plumbing fixtures sure. as when you're dealing with a deck or a screen porch. So, um, though we have not seen that, I'm sure people, um, uh, for instance, track builders are probably sucking wind right now. I mean, they're loving the low interest rates. That's one of the big things that also drove the supply and demand. The building industry is it's, it's causing them to spend more money and to build more. And so they consume more. But as these prices get so far um, inflated, they're going to get so far ahead of themselves. Something's got to give. It's going to catch up. And they're left with a huge inventory of houses that they, they that cost them a lot of money to build and they're left holding them. So it'll be interesting to see how all of this different stuff plays out. But it is crazy times. And we haven't seen a slowdown, but, you know, and that's a good thing. I you know, count my blessings there, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the future for it. It definitely will. And like you said, uh, it's definitely, you know, the turning around the Titanic, right? There's a lot of logistics. There's a lot of infrastructure. There's a lot of different things that have to line up for this to return back to normal. And obviously, you know, with COVID, uh, especially in factories, you know, being shut down, that's something that I don't think anybody can say with certainty when they know that's going to happen. But having a solid plan and really making sure that you're integrating this into when you're, you know, bidding the project, talking with the homeowners, that's going to be super important because uh, like Jonah said earlier, you need to be as upfront as possible. So you can actually say, Hey, look, uh, here's the situation. And yes, fill them in. You need to fill them in. Otherwise they're going to look at your bid and be like, what is this? Like, why is that? And like that, let them know a little bit about the situation. You don't have to go super in depth with it, but you know, just make sure they understand like, Hey, this is a situation that we're in right now. This needs to be talked about. We can't just leave this out because this is our reality. Uh, put that in there, either contractually or just have that conversation. Make sure they understand like this is what it's at right now. Could go up, could go down in the future. You know, how soon? We don't know, but this is a current situation now. So make sure, you know, that's understood between both parties. 
Yeah, and I think you know what, what's going to come out of this is it's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. The there's guys that on a good day when material prices are not like this that screw up bids because they don't know what they're doing, right? And so you really screw up hard if you're acting that way and you're not paying attention to the material prices. As a business owner, you have to kind of know every little segment of what's going on um, in your world and beyond and being able to accommodate that. It's not something like, oh, it just doesn't affect me. I can deal with it later. It does. I mean, it can. you can lose your butt on a job if you're not preparing for this or thinking ahead enough or going back to the client and renegotiating a contract uh, in order to accommodate this or even having something that accommodates it in the first place in your contract and it's just a signature. So interesting totally. times. Totally. And now I, I want to switch topics a little bit here because we're talking about, you know, talking about getting the work. Now, once work started, contract signed over, everything, you know, is up and rolling. The actual work itself is pretty important in a remodeling company. And I know our first uh, podcast we had together, we touched on this and I am so, so, so glad that we have this one today because this is something I really wanted to dive into. You said something really, really interesting that I know is going to absolutely blow some people out of the water once they hear about it. And that's how you actually find your subcontractors. And I oh, want yeah. you to kind of go into that, share with us a little bit about that process because it's unique. I really like your, your idea and what you're doing here. Yeah, it's kind of multifaceted. So like a lot of things that you learn in life, you it's just through trial and error, right? You just keep trying. And if that works, you go that way. If that doesn't work, you don't go that way. Well, um, for the longest time, you know, you always had back in the day, the Craigslist of the world where anybody and their mama could could post on there. And there wasn't, you know, basically you were like, do you have your GL? Do you have your workers comp? And let me hope you do good. Let me get you on a small project. Um, that had no social aspect to it. It was post something like a classified and you would have to give somebody a shot and they either screw up or they do well. And so it was the wild west, so to speak. And, you know, as social media uh, platforms have come along, um, there has been integrated this, this sort of social aspect um, to like a Craigslist. And so next door is, uh, you know, like a neighborhood app. It's like the Facebook for neighborhoods. And I'm, I'm on it in the sense that I have an account, but I don't post, I don't interact. I don't even have a Facebook account. I feel like it's high school. It's for people that peaked in high school, in my opinion. I hate it. But we have a Canter Construction Facebook account, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm down with it for business, but I don't, I don't get into the middle with personal. I've got too much stuff going on in my life than to, to worry about what somebody in high school did. But the point being with Nextdoor is there's all these people on there from neighborhoods and I started looking at these people posting on there. Hey, I need a painter. Did anybody have a good experience? And so these, these other people would chime in. Oh, I use this guy. And sometimes it'd be like, ooh, stay away from that guy. He ripped me off. And so I was kind of like reading this as a social classifieds ad where I was getting direct feedback reviews, you know, of these people they had used. So when I needed a specific subcontractor for something, and let's say I needed like an interior trim guy, I would go on the next door and just type in interior trim and there would be a bunch of numbers and I would read reviews about these guys. And there's some people that will come on and say, I can handle that. And you keep seeing this person over and over and you're like, eh, it's a shark or a, you know, a do it yourself or part-time guy. But it was a really good way to vet some of these subcontractors. So I started using that as one avenue. And then the, the, the oldest avenue of all time is, Sometimes you just, it's the art of asking. You have to ask your current subcontractors, hey, do you know anybody? And the ones you trust, because hopefully they're not going to send somebody to you that you don't trust. So a lot of times we found, especially in the carpentry world framing, um, we found a lot of guys that 
we we use currently as subcontractors just by asking the ones that we use that don't do that specific thing but in the sense they got a guy you know and and so that was a good way of of finding subcontractors for us that's really interesting just kind of summing that up so next door because i know a lot of people heard of next door and you know typically it's more on the user end of things but what you did there is you saw the opportunity that hey homeowners are writing reviews on these people, right? And they can turn in whatever resume, whatever work experience they want to you. But what you can do is find them on there. You can see the actual, you know, real-time uh, experience of people who have worked with them and then actually get what they're like. You know, were they timely? Did they rip them off? Were they an awesome contractor and they want them back in their house? That is a fantastic idea. And one of the biggest issues, I think personally, uh, in this industry, maybe besides material costs right now, the ongoing issue is finding good subcontracts. Because oh, wow. there's so many, there's so many out there where- Everybody with a truck and a set of tools is a contractor now. Like it's horrible. Exactly. It's a numbers game. You got to, unfortunately, you know, go through and find the right ones. But this step is essentially able to take that and cut out the middleman almost and just realize, okay, this person's saying this, this, and this about this guy seems like a good dude. I want to bring him on. I want to test him out. I want to see if this is actually what it is. And just like that, think about how much money, but more importantly, time that saves you guys in the hiring process, actually doing that research beforehand. Yeah, it does. And, and, and the other thing is, is it's, you know, uh, you know, Craigslist was a classified, it was a post. Reviews are a good thing to tell about a company, but they're static. Next door is almost like a, uh, a review and process in motion, right? So people are interacting, a post goes up and, and you'll see 15, 20 comments and, and people interacting with it in real time. And so it's a new dynamic where you're vetting somebody in real time with real information, not a guy got a five-star review four and a half years ago. A lot could have changed since then, you know? So I, I think it's kind of interesting to look at it uh, and, and use it as a tool. Um, Again, it was one of those things that like, I just was sitting there one day and watching a bunch of people, you know, complaining about the ducks crossing the road or whatever they post them next door. And then somebody said, Hey, I need a, an interior trim carpenter to hang crown. And I was like, so do I buddy, you know, like, and so I started to look through this, this list and I ended up calling the guy and saying, Hey, are you just like, you know, one hand, one hammer, are you looking to come to the big leagues? What are you looking to do? And uh, that guy ended up working for us and, you know, had all his stuff and was new to town and just getting, you know, started. So this, that was the place he was like, I don't know anybody. I'm going to post on here and, and see what happens. And we were lucky enough to, to grab him from there. So. And then the other thing that you said that I like too, is once that guy comes on board, right. And you vetted him like awesome dude network, right. Ask him, Hey, yeah. do you know anybody who does X, Y, Z? Because chances are, uh, more than likely, if he's a good contractor and he does, you know, what he's supposed to and he's good at what he does, uh, his friends are also going to be, you know, good at what they do as well, right? Uh, yeah. Law of attraction, right? You attract yeah, what you absolutely. put out. So that, that's a really good way to find people too. Once you have a good sub, ask them if they have any friends that they know or they have any business, you know, associates, they know who actually uh, they would recommend to you. Because if they're going to recommend someone to you, chances are they're probably going to want to recommend somebody good, not someone Yeah, else. and it, it kind of goes to one of the, the biggest foundations of our company. And it's an interesting thing to talk about for, for other contractors, which is, um, do you have employees or do you have subcontractors? <clears throat> or, are, or do you have a blend or, or do you do only one or the other? This came up this week, actually, in a, in a, a, I won the contract. 
and I was the highest bid and I still won it. Uh, and the, the guy uh, basically said, I've got three of you guys. One guy has employees, one does a hybrid. And then there's you that's 100% subcontracted. Why should I go with you? And I said, well, I can easily tell you this. I said, the guy, and this is a generalization, by the way. So people who have employees don't get all bent out of shape by me telling you this, but it's a generalization. Is the people that have employees, they got Ricky Bobby over here one day painting, and then he's over here tiling, and then he's doing some drywall, and then he's doing some electrical. And it's like, does he know how to really do any of those well? Well, he knows how to do them well enough, right? So what I find is the companies that have employees, they have a serious issue with quality because they're just trying to get a jack of all trades, a master of none. And when you're trying to be the best of the best, you want somebody, you know, who has perfected their their one area of expertise. It would be akin to, you know, uh, having a nurse do, you know, what a cardiologist does. There's no offense to that, but they went to school for this. I, I want the cardiologist to work on hearts and all this stuff. So the same thing plays true with subcontracting. My tile guys are tile guys, drywall guys, drywall guys, framers, framers. And then there is some blending between framers and guys that can do decks, but not necessarily all framers make good trim carpenters for interior. So the biggest thing is quality. The guys that do a hybrid, um, I, I told this, this particular client, I said, he's probably a good guy. He probably knows that he wants to save some money in the project and offer a better bid. So he's going to do some aspects of it because he can't put the tools down, you know, so to speak. And I said, so the only problem you might have there is a timing issue. You know, he gets caught in the weeds because he's not stacking his trades and he's trying to do too much himself and he's stretched too thin. When you have subcontractors like I do, you can send the armies out to the different jobs and you can stack your trades. You can stack your jobs and do multiple jobs at any given time. It's akin to what commercial contracting does. You know, they, they don't have like a thousand employees on a job. A lot of those guys are subcontracted help and they send them out to the various companies to get the stuff done. So the, the guy that I ended up winning the bid with being the highest price, he was like, I like the way you do things. He's like, I agree that the quality consistency and scheduling is important. Um, and then he laid a bomb on me and said, and by the way, John, I need this done by the end of June. Can you make it happen? And I was like, I like a good test. So yeah. And, and I really, the project isn't so scary that I think we'll be done months ahead of time or not months, but weeks ahead of time. But he, he chose us because of the fact that our process is good, the quality's there and the way that we do uh, use subcontractors. So I think it's a good process for others to learn from. Um, not to be long-winded, but the, the last take on that that a lot of people probably ask is, oh yeah, but man, you know, you, you lose a lot of money going through subcontractors. And I, I you know, you could argue that, but I, I look at it as, as in my, the way that I've positioned myself in my current market with all the reviews, the success we've had, I don't have to worry about that. I charge a price where we still make good money, but we deliver the highest product. And people these days are just itching to have that. They want you to pay to make things go 100% right. And they're, they're willing to pay a premium for that. And they're so used to getting half-ass service that's cheaper. And then when they go and they buy something that's more, but they get the full experience, they, they leave you know feeling good and they're willing to pay for it. So. Yeah. And something with that too. So you have these true, you know, specialists They're like you said it the best. I couldn't have said it better. You know, a jack of all trades, master of none, right? That's what you get a lot of the times with the employees. Now within that there's more value to the actual um, 
to the actual end user, the consumer, right? Because if you preface it just like that, you let them know why you do things the way you do. Uh, that makes a ton of sense, makes a ton of sense to me, makes a ton of sense to anybody who hears that. And they'll see that, hey, look, we could have done it this way, saved money, but what we're doing is this, and this is actually better for you guys, this benefits you directly. And now Jonah, within that too, how long, once you bring on one of those subcontractors, because you already have an idea of the work they do, but how long do you actually like vet them and what amount of time do you know if they're like a good subcontractor, if maybe you should look elsewhere, like how do you continually monitor, you know, that person when you first hire them and see if it's something that you're looking to invest more of your company's, you know, time into? Uh, I have a very, you know, blunt statement. You fire fast. I mean, I don't wait around and beat around the bush with any of these guys. You're either a grown ass man who shows up on the job and does it right or you don't. I don't want to deal with unprofessional people. Um, do people have uh, issues and mistakes? Yes. For some reason, the dog has always eaten the lunch. My wife left me, my flat tire. Our industry is full of people like that. You know, so you try to watch the red flags with people. Um, had a subcontractor recently, started off strong. Um, it was just awesome. We were like very excited about this person. And, um, you know, about a month and a half in, all of a sudden we started noticing quality changes. You know, we had to go back to jobs and fix some stuff. And then all of a sudden he'd say he'd be somewhere and then he wasn't. And so finally excuse me, I was talking with uh, Peter and Casey, my project managers, and I was like, he's gone. I'm like, I'm done. There's something going on and I don't have enough. I already got two kids. I'm, it's not my job to try to figure out his life you know, situation. You show up on time, you call, you do these things. So back to the fire fast thing, you know, when you hang on to people for a long time, it's out of desperation usually. You're like, oh, I can't find anybody else. Well, I don't have one framer, you know, I'm always looking to recruit and have guys and kind of spread the wealth between them. My rock star guys that look out for me, I look out for them. I give them all my work. And then we got the JV team. If we need to do something small or whatever, we'll bring in. Um, so it's hard. I mean, you, you, you don't want to be so callous that at the first sign of something, you fire somebody, but we've all been there and done that. And a guy burns you and makes you look bad because you've told a homeowner, we're going to be there on Monday and they don't show up. They're an extension of you, whether they're a subcontractor or not. So if they don't show up, you didn't show up. And, and if you don't know to let that client know ahead of time, you look like a jackass. So if something happens for somebody in my good subs, they'll say, I mean, they'll text me on a Sunday, Jonah, I've got an issue, transmission's blown or whatever. And uh, I'm not going to be able to make it. And immediately I can fire off an email to the client and I'm ahead of it. I'm always ahead of that kind of stuff. Those are good subcontractors. Bad ones, it'll be 11 o'clock in the morning. They've never called you, never showed up or whatnot. So it's a, it's a tough road to, to go down, but you've got to be, again, we were talking about the pricing and stuff. You always have to be attentive to all these different little pieces and parts of your company and, and what to do with them. And so having, having somebody like that right if if you see those red flags obviously be cognizant of it at first uh keep it on the radar and then if that becomes obviously a habit then you know you have to take action there now on the flip side of that when somebody is a good subcontractor and they are representing you guys correctly and i'll backtrack just a second here because uh jonah hit it right on the head you know these subcontractors even though they're not your employees uh, they are still representing you guys so you have to know that okay if you're hiring a sub 
Uh, they have to show up. They have to be polite. They have to do everything that you would do if you were in the home. And I think that's like one of the biggest things to really look for. Obviously, the skill set is super important, but just their 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 personality, right? If you can tell that they're like one of those guys who's maybe not as reliable or they're not as personable right off the bat, uh, maybe be cognizant of that as well. But make sure that they are an extension of you. So make sure that you would want them to represent you in uh, somebody's home and feel comfortable with that. Now, looking at this as well, once you find that good sub, how do you make sure they stay? How do you like motivate them to actually want to keep up, you know, doing the work with you? You know, it, 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 I had a old boss, old CEO of a company. He told me the greatest uh, thing I've ever heard because it is so true. It never changed. Uh, and we were talking about um, in a facility, just having people that were not motivated and whatever. And, and he like looked at me one day and he goes, Jonah, he said, you are never going to motivate a demotivated person. You're just not going to do it. Uh, and he said, uh, but you can definitely demotivate a motivated person. And he's like, so what does that exactly mean? It means somebody who's large and in charge and, and, you know, wanting to get stuff done and you're just keep pushing them down keep pushing them down. You'll demotivate them after a time. They'll leave you. They'll be gone. They're like, yeah, this guy sucks. What does that mean? You don't pay him on time. Uh, you know, you, you yank his chain around. You're always arguing about pricing, whatever those different factors could be um, that demotivates a motivated person. So um, with subcontractors, I think I have always said I'm the last to get paid. I treat them as it, how I treat everybody. At least I think so how I want to be treated. So I don't mess around with your money because I don't want my money messed around with. So if you complete a job and it's to my success, all the estimate or not estimates, invoices need to be on a Thursday, you get paid on a Friday, hell or high water. I always got you covered, right? So a lot of the guys, it's a simple thing, right? But they love it. They know it's not like, oh man, I, the, the homeowner hadn't paid me yet. You know, I don't, I don't cut that crap. I run a tight business. So they get paid. And then just in general, stuff goes wrong on job sites, right? I mean, something just happens. It goes wrong or whatever. I don't yell at people. We're all grown people. I don't need to yell at you. If I'm yelling at you, you're getting fired because you're an idiot, right? But if I'm just trying to solve a problem, I'm treating you as an equal. Just because I own the company and you are a framer, you're no less valuable than, than you know, to me or than as I am to my own company. I mean, there's, there's CEOs that have always said, like, who's the most important person in your company? And they say the janitor, right? And you're like, what? And it's like, well, they keep the place clean so that when people come in, everything's nice and orderly and it just goes up from there, you know? And so everybody is very important in a company. So I think the way that true subcontractors are treated and, and how you don't mess with their money is key to retaining them, always being uh, you know, just a good person, which is really not hard to do, um, is, is important. Now, when it comes to project managers, which is, you know, we can lead into that. Um, those are, you know, my project managers are the people that run the actual jobs. Well, you know, some people have employees um, that they pay a certain flat, you know, amount. And then I kind of chose the option of, well, how can we do maybe a hybrid model where they get a, a very small base salary, but they benefit off of um, the rev share and the total profits from the job. And essentially what I mean by that is they're duly vested just as another subcontractor would be into making sure that not only that project is running um, as best as it can, that the price points are exactly where they need to be and that the overall um, uh, profit that I want to make 
is there. And then they share in a percentage that you can come up with that you think is good off of that. So my guys are doing that now and it's awesome. I send them out in the world and it's like they're running their own company and they see that they're making a lot more money if it's run efficiently on time and they're duly invested again as being an extension to me. They're not arguing, but they're talking to the subs. Hey, Johnny, you gave me this price, 14. I need you to be at 12. They're doing those negotiations. And if they get it, great, right? We get more profit to the company. So I find that uh, that's another way of motivating people and incentivizing them and not being greedy and looking at it like I'm only as good as the people I'm with. And a rising tide raises all ships. So we should all be a part of this. And the more we do, the more successful we'll be and the more money we'll get. And then with that rev sharing, because that's a that's a really strong concept, right? Because it is truly motivating to people if they realize that they are getting X percent of that. Now, if you were just starting out and you had, you know, a few members of your team already, would you would that be something you implement right away or would you wait till you reach a certain point or when do you think that's kind of the right time to roll that out yeah that i'm glad you asked that uh, because i didn't touch on that and it's super important no absolutely not you don't do that at the beginning because you don't know the type of person that you're essentially hiring for that if they're even going to be able to handle it it's a special breed of people who are self motivated um, and and want to see this happen there's those of us that just want to get a check or a salary and work 40 hours a week and go home. Don't talk to me. Leave me alone. When my vacation's here, I'm not answering the phone. And that's fine. The world needs ditch diggers and all that other stuff. Then you have the people that are, you know, essentially, I would never hire anybody who wasn't working themselves out of a job. If you are content with what I've given you, you're not going to make it in my company. I, I get, I have attrition, not that much, but people who go on and say, Hey, you know, I was project manager, manager for Jonah, love the situation, but I wanted to go out on my own. And I don't, I'm like, great. It's kind of like, I've put another child into the world, you know, <laughs> be successful at contracting. Um, all jokes aside, it's like, if, if that's the mentality of the people I hire, I want them to, to either say, I want more, I want more jobs, I want more this, or to keep moving on, continue falling forward, if you will. Um, and so, you know, I think that's a main thing for it, to be honest with you. And it's funny too, because like those types of people are, are usually the best people, but at some point in time, uh, most of them will either want, you know, more work or want to go out and do or something. Leave the nest at some point, I get it. I mean, it is what it is. And now finding those types of people, because I feel like a lot of people in this space are very entrepreneurial, right? Some of them are not, but I feel like a lot of people who do really well at their jobs and are very motivated are, they have entrepreneurial tendencies. So finding those types of people and finding out, you know, exactly how to, I don't want to say use them, but how to leverage what they have to your benefit and the company's benefit more importantly, and leverage that drive because when somebody has that drive, that's something not everybody can say. And that drive is truly what makes the biggest difference at the end of the day. If you have somebody who has that fire under their ass 24 seven, I mean, you have no choice, but to really watch your company blow up. So like finding those people, but more importantly, managing those people, right? Giving them the opportunity to actually use their entrepreneurial mindset and their entrepreneurial energy how do you go about kind of harnessing that? Because I know sometimes it can it can explode and go everywhere. No, no, it's great. Like I I uh, <laughs> I literally had a conversation um, 
it, it kind of started from the, the, if you remember the last podcast we did, you said, uh, if you could do it all over again, what would you do? And I was like, I think I would get into the repair business. And uh, Casey, that's one of my project managers. He's like a really big go-getter, a great attitude, all that. Just yesterday, I was like, Casey, we need to start another company that's just residential repairs and we should crush this market. And Casey was like, hell yeah, I'm in. I mean, I didn't even have to like bend his arm, right? So it's like, I, I think uh, that's part of the harnessing, right? Is, you know, always looking like, what's the next thing? Like, let's not throw crap on the wall and see what sticks necessarily. But we tend to know what we're doing in this. And it's like, does it make sense to slough off another company and, and do that and take Casey out of his position of being a project manager and have him head up that while he's doing some project managing, but then all of a sudden you shift him full time and he, you're a partner in that company with him, right? That's a great idea. Like now he has a more of an ownership stake in something that he's building and the bird has left the nest, so to speak, but I'm getting a piece of that pie as well, you know? So that's, sometimes you, you, you harness it and, 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 you know, expand beyond it. Um, not everybody's going to be able to do that or want to do that, quite frankly. It can be a distraction, but when you have really good people, you want to be, surround yourself with them. And, uh, you know, iron sharpens iron or whatever they say. It's the same thing, I think, so. And that's great too, because you're not just, you know, you're not just essentially working with that person, letting them go off and do their other things, find a replacement. You're working with that person, helping them start something that they will feel most likely more fulfilled in because they have that closer to ownership role and they have more say in what's going on. That's, that's an awesome idea. That's an awesome idea. I can't stress that enough. I really, really like how you attack that. The, the other thing that's important, um, my dad uh, in a former life was uh, with Blue Cross Blue Shield. And uh, he was telling me the story one time about how um, they would, uh, on a yearly basis, would kind of level set the salaries or look at, investigate, level setting the salaries against the industry for their um, computer science guys, um, their, their programmers, essentially, because where they were, uh, they were having a real, really hard time finding people right out of college that were prepared to go into what they needed. And they did an analysis and found out when they lost somebody what was the cost of that? And you think, oh, whatever their salary was, <laughs> no way. You lost intelligence, know-how, processes, everything. And so, you know, if a guy was $50,000 a year, how much did it cost before the next person got in, was replaced, caught up to speed and fun functioning at that level? And it was something like $300,000. I'm paraphrasing here. But the amount of money that was lost on the rehired retraining versus saying, Hey, Jim, I know you want to leave. We'll give you $15,000 more to stay. You lost nothing but 15 grand. The cost analysis is there. Give the guy, if he's worth it, or the lady, the $15,000. Don't let the attrition get you because it's going to cost you so much. So again, when you have good people, you should constantly, you don't have to give them a piece of your company. I'm not saying that, but you should try to continue to motivate them and incentivize them to stay with you because you know when you lose them, um, you're going to be losing a bigger uh, a bigger piece than you think, so to speak. So that probably resonated uh, pretty well with a lot of people listening. And if you if that doesn't resonate you because you're not at that spot yet, or you're in the cycle of you know uh, quick to hire, quick to fire, and you're like, why am I? You know, these numbers don't make sense. 
take a look at, you know, how much time it's actually taking somebody to get up to speed of where that last person was or where they were supposed to be, but they, you know, couldn't cut it. So being slow to hire and fast to fire sometimes is going to be a lot more beneficial to you guys, but really understanding that, look, you need to find good talent off the bat and invest in them, right? Not only monetarily, but with time, the correct training, hooking them up with people who are veterans in the field, right? Hooking them up with them, finding somebody who can actually train up people. So that way you're not stuck in that cycle of, you know, losing money, you know, whatever the number is, 300 grand. It's probably pretty accurate. I would actually agree that that's probably pretty close, but that is so important. Invest your money and your time and your people, because that's only going to give you uh, exponential returns down the road. Yeah. And I mean, this sounds so sappy, but uh, I look back to uh, Peter, my other project manager. Uh, He made me like so happy one time. He literally told me one time, he said, Jonah, you're like one of the few people in my life, you know, besides his wife and kids and all that. He's like that I wholeheartedly trust. And I know you'll never screw me over. And I was like, God, man, for somebody to like vocalize that how you treat others is so important in this life, man. I I mean, you don't have to be the person that's grinding somebody down, right? People resonate with people that they can have a beer with, that they can hang out with. At the end of the day, we're all, you know, cogs in the wheel. We got to get stuff done. I can't emphasize just treating people right and and how much you will get out of them. There's going to be some turds. We get it. that are just jackasses. You're never going to appease. You're not going to get along with. I'm not talking about those. It's, you, you, we've all had a boss that we were like, man, or a teacher or whoever that we were like, dude, that was a cool person, man. They taught me a lot or I dug them. They were a nice guy or person. And then we've had some bad people. You're like, that guy just thought that, you know, smushing you into the ground was the way to motivate you. And guess what? You probably don't work at that company anymore. You left or whatever. So I think that's like something people really just kind of goes over their head, but they really need to focus on. So. And also with that, what you just said there is really important because that guy told you that you are one of the only people in his life that he trusts enough to know that like, Hey, this guy will never screw me over. He's got my back. Do you think if you had another employee like that, and this could be, you know, I'm talking to you, the listener right now, if you had an employee tell you that, do you think that they're ever going to leave or ever going to give you anything less than their best? Because the industry is so, you know, like they find that person that they know has got their back, no matter what, come hell or high water, they're going to have that check for you. They're going to take care of you. If you go somewhere else, chances are that's not going to be the case. So showing your employees, showing the people you work with that, hey, look, no matter what happens, I got you. This is how it's going to be. And this is how it is non-negotiable. You know, you're always coming first. Having that right there is going to build such a strong bond and actually keep talent on board, avoiding ever having to go through the retraining cycle of all that stuff. Now, granted, it'll come up for sure, but that'll be out of your control, right? That'll be something else, something external. You can do everything you can do to make sure that person stays on simply by showing them that you always have their back. You're always going to be there for them and you care for them, you know, more than just a uh, a contractor, subcontractor, project manager, whatever level they're at, you know, you, you, you see what they're got going on and you, you got their back. I like that a lot. Yeah, man. I just, I think it's, you know, with all the stuff that's going on in the world today and politics, and we're so like divided and, you know, <laughs> little pockets. And I, I just always go back. I go, it's really easy to, you know, to, to, to be mean. It, it takes a lot to be nice to people, right? Like you've got to really be invested in them. You got to really think about their best interests. So do it if you can. I mean, we're just so polar opposites now, but the way that we think being a good guy should be like something that is looked upon as a good thing. Now, all that being said, 
does this work for a corporation of 500 people? No, the CEO is not going to be your best friend. Sorry, it's just you're too big, right? But like when you're talking about the size of the contractors that are, you know, you know, contracting millionaires or whatnot, they they're not they don't have to have a you know hundred person um, entity to make this happen. They just have to have a well oiled machine and all the things together. And if they do that you know, they can be successful and treat people right. And everybody is uh, winning in the entire process. So there you go. There you go. And that's, that, that's spot on. Everything there is spot on. And Jonah, before we wrap here, is there anything else you want to add, touch on before we wrap? No, I would just say uh, everybody stay frosty with these material prices because I do not think anything's going to be changing anytime soon um, at all. But yeah, um, it's going to be interesting, but people really don't get caught with your pants down on this because you're going to lose your butt. So pay attention to the markets. Don't just, uh, you know, rely on what your your uncles are telling you about stuff. Dig into the details. Uh, and, and first and foremost, that's on the material. So watch out for that. Maybe the next time we talk, we'll say, hey, it's six months in and what's happening? And it'll be different, I hope. So, but That'd nonetheless, I appreciate you, uh, you having me back on again. Hopefully, uh, we uh, spit some knowledge and people learn some stuff this time. There's some bombs. There's some bombs in this one, guys. There really is. And I, I know Jonah will be back on another one here in the future, but some things I wanted to recap just to put everything, you know, out here, some of my bigger takeaways from this podcast, uh, obviously uh, that finding those good subs, right? Using Nextdoor, looking at the reviews, finding those people, and then asking those people, once you find those good subs, hey, you got any friends that do X? Awesome way to do everything there. RevShare, really, really cool model. Just make sure that you're in the right stage of business to do it. And then the last thing here, uh, Jonah said it probably better than I can say it, but be a good person because it doesn't cost you anything and your employees and the people that you work with will be much more uh, much more likely to give you that back and give you the work and give you the actual you know investment of their time because it's not, it's, it's unfortunately kind of rare today to find somebody who's going to treat you, you know, hundred percent the right way. And obviously if you guys haven't yet give our first podcast a listen, Jonah goes more into his company there, Cancer Construction. Uh, I will link that. I will also link his website again down in the description, but other than that, um, keep your head on a swivel for the material prices. Like Jonah says, we're going to take care of that. And uh, I'm sure this isn't the last time there'll be uh, you guys will be hearing from Jonah. Y'all take care. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother.